We're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 14, and let us hear the word of the Lord. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake, that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. We'll end our reading at verse 31, and we know that the Lord will bless the public reading of his infallible word for his name's sake. We're going to take as our text the first part of the 16th verse of the chapter, this follows on with a message from a couple months back. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion 
of the blood of Christ. Let us bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father and our eternal God, how we rejoice to find ourselves here in this place, gathered around the holy word of God, and preparing our hearts to remember Christ as he has commanded us to do in partaking of the elements of the Lord's Supper. We thank thee for the instruction that we have received in this passage concerning this supper. And we pray that thou would give us grace as we fix our attention today on the cup of blessing which we bless. O Lord, we pray that thou would grant the grace that we need this day to hear thy voice speaking through thy word. We ask, O Lord, that thou would grant that I may be filled with thy Spirit's power to the very uttermost, grant the grace that is needed to proclaim thy holy word, to exalt thine only begotten Son, and to bring the people of God to preparation of heart that we may partake worthily of the elements of this supper. So hear our cry, we pray, and abide with us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. The scriptures speak in the book of the Revelation of a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So that becomes a major theme in the Bible. Every Old Testament altar pointed to the blood of that lamb. In the first hours after stepping off the ark into a world God swept clean of the pre-flood civilization, Noah built an altar and shed on it the blood of a sacrifice. Through the period of the patriarchs, through the institution of the Passover, through the careers of the kings and the ministries of the prophets, the message rolled on in a somber cadence. There must be atonement for sin. And that atonement must be in blood. Now Christ has come. Truly, as the hymn writer said, there is no blood, no altar now. We do not come to an altar here today. The sacrifice is over. The lamb is slain no more. Why? Because, as the hymn writer said, richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to purge the soul from guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. And the one from whom that blood flowed has instituted a sacred remembrance of the shedding of that blood. 
He reminded us of His atonement when He gave us in the Lord's Supper the cup of blessing, which is the New Testament in Christ's blood. As all who partake of the elements by faith show the Lord's death, they participate in the benefits of that death. So this morning, as we prepare to partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, and particularly of the cup of blessing, we consider the message of the cup as it brings before us the blood of Christ. So I draw your attention this morning to the communion of Christ's blood. Two months ago, we thought about the communion of Christ's body. So now we consider the communion of Christ's blood. We are here to participate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Christ is the host. It is his table. There is a spiritual link between the fruit of the vine that is in the cup of blessing and that which it represents because it reminds us that the Redeemer shed his blood. So there is a spiritual, but nonetheless real sense in which those who drink the cup of blessing by faith drink the blood of Jesus Christ. And by drinking that cup, they apprehend the scope of his sacrifice and the satisfaction his sacrifice brought to God for their sins. The blood of Christ, we learn in Hebrews, is speaking blood. And so that symbol of it, that is on the table before us today, speaks to us and delivers us a fourfold message, which I want you to consider today. First of all, let us contemplate the blood's existence. Christ's design in instituting the sacrament of his body and blood was to stress the truth of their physical reality. We have often considered that point. That the physical elements and the physical act of consuming the elements, that those things together remind us that what Jesus did was real. As surely as his body rose from the dead and ascended to God's right hand, and is there now, Christ's blood also continued to exist. It's the evidence that the sacrifice is over, that the atonement is completed, That there's nothing left for us to do to add to that which Christ has done. The blood had physical existence when Christ shed it. And no one can deny this truth. When Christ suffered on the cross, 
His blood flowed from the wounds that the soldiers inflicted on him. From his head, where the crown of thorns was placed, the blood trickled down to his chin, where it mingled with the blood from his torn out beard and dropped off that shredded flesh down his chest. And from his hands, there came with every beat of his heart fresh streams of that crimson tide. And from his feet, which had gone everywhere doing good, there came still more of that blood. And then came the last wound, and we read of that last wound in John chapter 19. John chapter 19 and verse 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. It was real blood from a real man who suffered real death. But consider in addition that it has physical existence now and forever. The scriptures speak to us of the blood of Jesus as the reality by which benefits come to the people of God. Let's look at a few references here in the scriptures. First of all, Hebrews chapter 10 Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, This is the blood of of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Let us turn also to 1 John and to chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us. Present tense, it goes on cleansing us from all sin. It still exists. Then back to Hebrews, where we were reading just now. Hebrews chapter 12 this time. And verse 24. Here the Holy Spirit instructs us that we are come to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and 
to the blood of sprinkling. The blood that Jesus shed that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood spoke for revenge, for vengeance. The blood of Jesus speaks better things. The scriptures also speak to us of the blood of Jesus as the future reality by which real benefits will flow to the people of God forever. Let us turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, just was, this was part of my regular reading just the other day. Revelation 7. In fact, it was part of my reading today. Verse 14. And I said unto them, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is a dominant theme in heaven. And when you drink of that cup this day, you testify to the continuing existence of that blood. But there's a second thing that we observe about this cup of blessing, the blood's value, the blood's value. Christ's blood is the price of your redemption. Christ's blood was the cost God paid to rescue your soul from eternity in hell. And the price was so great that no one is able to calculate it. We turn to the first epistle of Peter and to chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse... 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What makes the blood so valuable? Because it came from a sinless man. It came from a man who was never guilty of one lustful thought or evil deed. It is blood through which wicked passion never ran. It is blood that never bore the marks of disease. It is blood that can never pass away. When the Apostle Paul met with the Ephesian elders at Miletus, as he was on his last part of his third missionary journey, he spoke to them about the blood of God. God had purchased his church with his own blood. And why must the purchase be made with such valuable blood? 
because Christ came to purchase those who were dead in their trespasses and their sins. What they are and what they have done requires a remedy so great that only the blood of the Son of God can provide it. Only the blood of the eternal God who came in human flesh is enough to pay the price to redeem sinners from their sins. It's precious blood. When we come to take the cup of blessing and to drink the cup of blessing, it is indeed that we should remember the value of the blood. And when you come to drink the cup, you come to reflect on the staggering cost of your salvation. To reflect again on how desperate your situation was when Christ came to shed his blood for you. If Christ did not shed his blood for you, there would not be any hope for you. But he shed his blood. And so there is hope for sinners. When you trust in the blood of the Lamb, you know your sins that were red like crimson became as white as snow. But there's a third thing for us to consider here in our text, and that is the blood's bond. The blood's bond. Because the text speaks to us of the communion of the blood of Christ. We reflected on the communion of the body of Christ. But the text speaks to us here of the communion of the blood of Christ. When you drink from that cup by faith. And that is what we mean by partaking in a worthy fashion. Then you enter more fully, more spiritually into the benefits of the blood of Christ. Because you testify to the world, you testify to your fellow believers and to the world around you that you're a stakeholder in that blood. You partake of the benefits of Christ's blood. So we don't speak here of some physical, corporal partaking. We're not literally drinking in a corporal fashion, the blood of Jesus. But John said in that verse that we read, we have fellowship one with another. That is, we commune one with another. He didn't mean we partake physically of each other. We don't consume each other physically. In the Lord's Supper, we partake of the blood of Christ in the sense of which Christ spoke of that act in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6, and verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. Ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood 
hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus was not speaking as though the doctrine of transubstantiation were true. It is a symbolic reference that there is a spiritual dimension to the drinking of the cup of blessing. The bond of which I speak is the bond that exists among those who have communion in the blood of Christ. This bond joins those who partake of it to the one who shed it. You are united to him and to each other. When we drink the cup, we show the Lord's death. We find that language in the words of institution in 1 Corinthians 11. We have a joint interest in that death. And it's a bond that can never dissolve. And the whole point of coming again and again to the Lord's Supper, as we have been doing for many years, the whole point is to remind us that this union with Christ and this communion that we have with him and with each other can never pass away. So it reminds us of the affection that should prevail among those whom Christ's blood has bought. Let us turn to the epistle to the Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And let us look at verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So we come to the drink of the cup of blessing as an act of humility and reverence. In chapter 4 of the same epistle in verse 2, here's his exhortation to two people by name. I beseech you, Odeus, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind. In the Lord, we come to remember the bond that exists among those whom Christ has redeemed. And then there's one other point that we make from our text, and that is the blood's power. The blood's power. If there's anything that we ought to remember when we drink the cup of blessing, it is that there is power in Christ's blood. Power that can never be overcome. Power to justify souls, to pardon them from all their sins. Power to reconcile them unto God. 
power to sanctify them, to set them apart, to make them holy, and ultimately power to glorify them. That's why Revelation makes such a big point of the blood of the Lamb, because that's the theme. That is why people are in heaven. They are there because of the blood of the Lamb. We read about those who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Christ is indispensable to our salvation. So that those who dismiss it and try to get to heaven on their own merits will discover that without the blood they are lost. So when you drink the cup of blessing today, you declare your faith in the power of the blood. That your only hope is in the power of that blood. So that when you finally reach the end of your journey through this world, and you enter the glory of heaven, you'll be able to look back and see And to say it was all through the power of the blood. Whatever your experiences in life may be, you may be sure that those who are in heaven without exception have this testimony. They're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that is what we Remember, when we come to drink the cup of blessing, may the Lord encourage your hearts today and bring you to this time in humility and reverence and remembrance of what our Lord has done for us in shedding his blood. Let us bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we give thanks to thee for thy holy word and for this word that thou hast appointed to prepare us this day to come to this table. Thank thee for this special emphasis on the cup of blessing, on the communion of the blood of Christ. O Lord, we pray today, give us grace to know the application of that blood to our hearts, to cleanse us from sin, to fit us for this remembrance, and to enable us by faith to partake of the elements that our Lord himself has designated for us. So hear our cry, we pray. May the benefit of this supper be the benefit that not only sustains us today, now in this life, but it will sustain us throughout our days and bring us finally to our heavenly home. So hear our cry, we pray, and abide with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.